0: With podcasts, let the listeners who don't like you go away. Don't try to get everybody. With podcasting,
1: you get a niche audience and you let them be loyal. Food, race, class, and gender. On today's program, we're talking about racist sandwich. Welcome to Radio Survivor, the sound of strong communities. My name is Paul rees Riesmendel, and joining us in just a moment is my co-host and co-producer Eric Klein. And today we're diving into podcasting. We'll be talking with Zahir John Mohammed. He is a uh, founder and a host of the podcast called Racist Sandwich, which covers this intersection of food, race, class, and gender. The show was founded here in Radio Survivor's own home city of Portland, Oregon. And he's going to share some of that journey of creating this show, uh, learning to podcast as a journalist, but who didn't have a radio or podcasting background, and sharing some of, of how the show has grown and progressed. So stay tuned now for that interview. And we welcome to the Radio Survivor studio here. Zahir Jam Mohammed. He is the creator of the Racist Sandwich Podcast. Welcome, Zahir. Uh, so, first of all, I mean, you have to tell us what is the, <laughs> what is the Racist Sandwich Podcast? Yeah,
0: sure. Well, thanks, thanks for having me on. So, the Racist Sandwich Podcast was started, we released our first episode in May 2016. And uh, I had basically moved to Portland in September 2015 when my partner got a job here. Uh, Soleil, my co-host, moved here to be the executive chef at a restaurant. Um, I was working as a freelance journalist. I still do freelance journalism. And I wanted to to tackle the subject of race in Portland, given that this is one of the least diverse cities in America, at least above 500,000. And so um, I met Soleil, and I was really intrigued by... Hearing her speak about what it was like to be a woman of color in the food industry, and so um, I thought, well, hmm, like where could I tell the story? And I thought about like pitching it, but I didn't think I would get that article published. Uh, I just weren't seeing those stories published, and so uh, and I didn't want to do a blog because I think sometimes blogs get sort of ghettoized and they sort of are treated like trivial. And so, n- no disrespect to bloggers, but I wanted to kind of do something different. And what I really liked was capturing that that conversation. So. Uh, I told her, hey, let's do a podcast. And so we sort of threw some names out there. Uh, one of them was called White Dumplings because I'm a big fan of the, the author Zadie Smith. She has a book called White Teeth. Mm-hmm. But then my partner, thankfully, said that's a stupid idea. So then I started Googling like food, racism, racist, racist food. And then th- the thing came up it was racist uh, about a peanut butter sandwich. Basically, school principal in Portland gives a lecture saying, "Hey, why don't we think about school curriculum tailored to students' needs? So, supposing if a school is predominantly Latino, maybe you don't serve a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Maybe you serve a torta. If a school is predominantly Arab, maybe you serve a pita sandwich." And her whole point was not really about food, but it's like. Curriculum should change based on the school's demographics. So if a school is predominantly, let's say, Chinese, maybe you teach them about, you know, the Chinese contribution to history in Oregon. And so instead of sort of listening to her very nuanced take, a lot of conservative bloggers said, hey, are you calling the peanut butter and jelly sandwich racist? (laughs) which she wasn't she wasn't making any commentary about food she wasn't calling anything racist but that's what the commentators were saying about it and so it was this funny thing like that people were saying she calls and it became this sort of story and then it got picked up and then it ended up like you do yeah and so I thought like unfortunately sometimes when we talk about race we get very silly and so Soleil and I decided okay we'll call it racist sandwich and we didn't really know what the format was at first we thought I'm a big fan of Radio Lab. I'm a big fan of This American Life that will do sort of narrative storytelling. But guess what? That takes a lot of work. <laughs> oh, there's a lot of edits in there. <laughs> and then, um, so what Soleil and I did was we recorded our first pilot episode in March 2016. And uh, thankfully, we didn't release it right away. We kicked it around to our friends, particularly our friends at Bitch, who have a uh, Bitch magazine. They have a terrific podcast, I think two podcasts. Yeah. And they said, you know what? This is good, but I think you can do better. And I think you should consider an interview format. So we scrapped that and we did our first episode with Bertoni Faustin, who's the first black winemaker in Oregon, and released our first episode on May 4th, 2016. May 4th, obviously, because I'm a big Star Wars fan, May the 4th, be with you. <laughs> so there you go. So, and, um, and then we also didn't launch our first episode until we had three episodes in the can. Because one thing that I realized with um, my friends gave me two great advices before I started the podcast. Consistency is key. Make sure you deliver something every 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 like two weeks or three weeks or four weeks, whatever. And the second thing she told me was with podcast, let the listeners who don't like you go away. Don't try to get everybody. Hmm. Podcasting is not about... Yeah. Like when, you write it, when I write an article, like I write for the Portland Mercury, I'm really trying to reach the widest group possible. With podcasting... You get a niche audience and you let them be loyal to you, or you try to get them to be loyal. So that's the story of how our podcast was born.
1: Now I really like that. I hadn't heard it articulated that way. Yeah. Let the people who don't like you go away. Because with podcasting, I like that that sort of sense and focusing on niche and understanding that you can't make a podcast for everybody. Yeah, that's
2: a radio survivor cliche that we love to repeat over and over. Totally. We've done entire hour-long episodes. Focusing on that idea, but we've never—you just turned it on its head. I really, yeah. Let them, you know, let
0: them go. Because yeah.
2: what what Paul usually says, and now I now I parrot Paul is, um, it's it's a if you say you're making a podcast for everybody, you're really doing you're making a mistake. The yeah, pod, you're, you're making have to a just,
1: podcast for nobody. Yeah,
2: you're making a podcast because
1: for nobody. you don't. You're not a Big Bang Theory. Yeah, you're, totally. You're not being beamed in everyone's house at the same time. Even though we have this much broader, uh, you know, media geography than we had in the '70s when there were only a few networks. Totally. Nevertheless, th- that network still hits way more many people, and they just stumble on. You don't stumble on a podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but nobody wants to start podcasting and admit
2: that it's not for everybody. Everyone wants their podcast to be this American life. I know. or Radio Lab and they won't and then they do themselves a disservice by not really saying, actually, this podcast is only for and then they yeah. decide on a very specific group of people and then they can do such a better well, job of being focused. When we started a podcast for
0: about 4 months into it, I could not listen to any other podcast because I was jealous, not of the episode but of the credits. This American Life is produced by so and so Uh, and so and so, sound engineer by so and so. So, -so. that's a podcast, that's a public
2: radio show with a huge. Exactly.
0: And the funny thing is, I never listen to credits. As soon as the episode is over, I turn the episode off. But now um, I listen to the credits and it just kind of (laughs) makes me cry. But you know, um, I think like the thing, another thing about podcasting is that I realized a really good podcast, at least in my mind, does something that a lot of print journalism or online journalism doesn't do, which is you, you, you focus on inside baseball language. Yeah. Right. So a lot of editors, when I turn in a piece, they'll say, this is good, but paragraphs three to five are too inside baseball, right? Like it's like two people talking inside a field, but like, My favorite episodes when my co-host used to live here was when she and another chef are, like, geeking out about chef terms. Right. And I just kind of, like, lean back, and I just listen. And to me, it's like being a fly on the wall, hearing two chefs geek out about I may not understand. For example, I learn all these terms about, like, in the food world that I don't get, but I'm like, it's like watching ER. I don't get all the references Mm. for those who are old enough to remember ER. Like, But still, like, it's a world into the medical
2: field. And that's to me like what good podcasting is about. Yeah, it's an opportunity to eavesdrop on people having uh, intimate conversation. Totally.
1: So, given that, show. what, who is your audience when you decide when you started this, and and you wanted yeah, to, to, you to capture what this, you this, this conversation? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who are you? Who are you thinking you'd reach? Who are you hoping you'd reach? And then, you know, kind of who do you think you are reaching? That,
0: oh, that all oh, excellent question. So, you know, it's interesting. I really thought we were doing a very Portland show. I thought we were going to maybe do like in fact if you look at like my spreadsheets, they're all about like I wanna tell the story of Portland through these episodes. Mm. So I was like, I'm gonna to go to the southeast, <laughs> which is where we're in right now, and go to the northeast. I'm gonna go out to the
2: suburbs. I'm gonna maybe you know, and I thought, right, like, there's distinct food cultures in each of these neighborhoods. Totally, totally different places.
0: Yeah, and there's also different like communities. Like, hey, I'll tell someone from you know an Ethiopian chef, a Mexican chef, and so I really thought that like this was going to be a real Portland conversation. And then even we we actually had some meetups at first where we were all getting together and just for food and and wine and beer and stuff. But then um, very quickly uh, we started realizing that we got listenership outside and we could tell from Twitter, we could tell from like the emails on Facebook, people like in Toronto, Canada were saying, Hey, like I love your show. And I was like, really? Like it's so Portland based. And they're like, but I relate to this. And that was kind of a weird thing that we didn't realize. Um, So I think that we didn't really think too much about the audience. I thought this was a conversation that Soleil and I hadn't seen happen before. I think Again, some of the advice that I got about about audience was that you got to do something that is interesting to yourself. I think with when I write an article, I know right away I kind of a sense of like the Portland Mercury readers, who the editor is, you know, how people read the uh, Portland Mercury, like they, they pick it up at, little, at a burger place and they read it while eating their food. With a podcast, you know, we didn't really think about that. We just thought like, this is interesting to us and we'll do this as an experiment. Now, as the show has progressed, we've realized... There are these larger conversations happening across America and across the really, you know, many parts of the world about food and identity. So right now, our second biggest listenership, I believe, is actually in Toronto, Canada, which is Hmm. kind of interesting. I don't know why. I haven't been
1: in a long time. It's a diverse food culture. It's a very diverse. It's very informed by the diasporas that have settled there.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And I think we, we tend to, I think one thing about, we're pretty blunt on our show about ways in which communities of color are oftentimes not heard from in the food industry. So that's been a surprise. And now I think we have definitely, I think about audience more now than I did before. And I don't know if that's a good or bad thing to be very honest. We have, okay. When we first started, for example, we didn't really have anyone sort of following us like on Twitter, but now we have food writers from the New York times and Mm. the Los Angeles times and all these big publications. And Washington Post and I've met people from NPR who listen to her show and I I love that. That's wonderful. I try to forget that sometimes, Mm -hmm. especially because it makes me more particularly insecure about her audio quality, not so much about the content. (laughs) The content I don't feel like Slayer I recalibrate. Um, But I also think that like, um, I also want to respect that this is still a show that's DNA is Portland, right? So I don't want to also like to me, like even though I'm moving in a few weeks to to Columbus to join my partner, like I still believe that Portland has to be part of a show at some level. Or producer is staying here because um you know Portland is where we got our start. And I think Portland has a great culture by which to raise these
2: questions. There's something strange happening. You probably know more about this than I do, that the Portland's becoming known for food totally. and restaurants. Absolutely, yeah. It's like a it's like a, a lab of sorts for for big ideas from other cities in sometimes, some
0: yeah. ways. I mean, even our first tagline, which we had to, after about four episodes or five episodes, we had to remove it from our website, which is, what is it like to be a chef of color in America's whitest major city? And so th- I, I know f- from having been a journalist that you set up that tension. You know, you're a chef of color and you're a bit in a very white city. So to me, that was that tension. But then we, we deleted it because we started having episodes about... You know, um what's it like to you know be a chef in San Francisco? It's more diverse. And then we started thinking, oh, like there's we could do bigger, we could expand and address a lot of you know uh larger questions in other cities. So we deleted that. And so now we just it's kind of an easy tagline. Food, race, gender, and class. That's our tagline.
1: So I mean I have a very blunt question. Yeah, please. Are white people listening? So that's
0: the thing, yeah. You know, and it's interesting because initially we got a lot of responses, particularly from white people who were saying, and we still do, where people saying they're able to, especially white Portlanders, able to sort of eavesdrop on these conversations that, you know, we had one episode where Soleil, a Vietnamese American, speaking to Han Lee Huang, a Korean American, about they both have reached quite a bit of success in their careers, but their parents don't really understand what they do or appreciate what they do. And that was such a great conversation that like I kind of leaned back in my chair and didn 't talk, and white people were like wow that's like, that 's something that they haven 't really heard that fly in the wall conversation." So we got a lot of you know, white listeners who um, would email us and say, "I really appreciate this, this is really because I think it 's hard. I think that you know conversations around race are tricky because people understanding me so don 't want to say the wrong thing." And it's interesting. Sometimes initially we got a lot more feedback from white listeners because we talked a lot about um, about whiteness, and but the, um, and and they liked that because they thought like we were sort of navigating a lot of those questions. Interestingly enough, after Trump won, we kind of recalibrated our podcast ever so slightly, where we said we're not going to be thinking about like, oh, Portland is so white; it's so tough to be a person of color here. Our focus was now. There are wonderful and beautiful people of color in Portland and in many other cities. Let's tell their stories. Mm. Whiteness may come up, mm-hmm. but we don't want to make that the focus. Um, and so that's small calibration that we did um, where we just think we keep – like it's like the question – the number one question we get asked all the time is, can white people cook this or can white people cook that? And <laughs> or, or, And even though we say this again and again on our podcast, mm. we still get asked, which is we don't really care. We're not here to tell – Anyone, what they should do, we just want to hear more
1: stories from people of color, and that's our focus. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I think that's interesting that recalibration, and I wonder. You said you know you felt like you had more listeners, white listeners, and and you felt like you were explaining. Yeah, I mean, is that something you were doing consciously? Were you trying to think how do I, how do we, how do we explain these things to white folks who who If, you know, we know that to some extent they don't get it because the world will be different if they did get it. Yeah. Was that conscious or was it reflexive or did you think about it at all? No, I think, I think
0: initially it was certainly conscious. And I think it's partly because Soleil and I were relatively new and we're trying to figure out our place here in the city. And, um, you know, both of us have white partners or producer Alan, he's Filipino American, our first producer. He has a white partner too. So I think that we're also trying to navigate the space of like, you know, it's not like we're distant from white people we have them in the most intimate you know places in our lives but i think that um the podcast helped us discover people in portland that we didn't know about Mm. so for example you know tamale boy was i think episode eight or nine nine i think and it's just this phenomenal mexican chef uh who taught all these famous chefs in mexico it's like i didn't know that you know folks like that it's delicious it's delicious yeah i didn't know like and so like when you meet people like that we started thinking like wait a minute like Okay, we know it's a very white city, but there are some amazing people here who are really doing wonderful things. And so I think both of us were like, we don't need to be talking about like mm-hmm. how white the city is. It is. We know that, but it becomes repetitive. And uh, we still I think we still have a lot of white listeners. We have a lot of like white donors. You know, we welcome everyone to you know obviously to support and listen to our show. It's just that I think we get, we got to a place where we thought. If people want that content they can go back to our earlier episodes. Mm-hmm. We want to keep continue to challenge ourselves and I think after Trump we kept thinking how do we challenge ourselves in a different way? I think our show felt different. I think there mm. was a part of us that thought we might even retire the show because you know, but I think after Trump's uh, win which really surprised me, it's kind of made us much more focused and saying we got to work really hard and we got to really produce something amazing, um, because we have
2: this platform and we got to continue to build it. Yeah. We're joined here in the, the radio survivor studios with, by Zahir John Muhammad, who is the producer and founder of the podcast racist sandwich. Uh, I, I put podcast in air quotes cause I say radio these days. Oh, yeah. I, think, no. I think we're all doing radio yeah, no too. matter how it's distributed. Uh, which is a a program that that uh, that covers the intersection absolutely between uh, food culture and then you 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 made a longer list than I was originally making yeah I mean so food like, culture and race food culture and gender food culture and and class and yeah and, class. and it's interesting because so you know
0: we talk about food race gender and class but you know we've done thirty two episodes plus some bonus episodes and it's been easier than I expected to to do the episodes on race. The episodes on class and gender
1: have been harder to do. Why is that? Um, I mean, class is something I think Americans really don't want to talk about, right? It's the, it's the grand myth. We're all middle class. It's just our lower middle, middle or upper middle or super upper middle or whatever.
0: I mean, and you know, we, we certainly have done episodes on, on class. We did one about like, uh, with some professors at Portland state university about, you know, the low wages in the food industry. Yeah, But you know, you take someone who's let's say a dishwasher and who's struggling to get by and can't make can't make rent. They're not gonna speak about that. I mean, we know the Oregonian just reported about I won't n- name the restaurant uh, an individual who wasn't making by making ends meet at a restaurant here. And as soon as the restaurant found
1: out, they fired him. Well, and as soon as they found out that he talked about it to the press, they fired him.
0: And so, you know, I I oftentimes get people come up to me who are saying, you know, they have similar stories. They don't make ends meet. Or I have women, some of whom are women of color, some of whom are white women, say, you know, I face a lot of harassment in the workplace, but I can't really talk about it, but I really support what you're doing. Hmm. You know, and so it's definitely been – Not that doing episodes on race are easy. We've definitely had people say no to us on that because they say, I don't feel comfortable, especially people who are Somali, for example, they're worried given the travel ban. So it's not like it's a walk in the park to do race, but gender and class has been, at least for me, more challenging. And so we're trying to sort of think about like, how do we tackle those subjects in a way that's going to be respectful and not put people at risk.
1: And then what are some of your goals? You know I mean you, you found a great story, yeah right uh, and and you w- really wanted to have this outlet to talk with uh, your co host your, your co producer Soleil um, and, as things have gone on, I mean w- what are you hoping you know the show accomplishes Sure, I think my goals at this
0: mo- moment are sort of more on a technical side, I think from a content side. You know, we have, I think, like eight or nine episodes in the hard drive. So we're like, we have quite, at any moment, we have about five to six on in the hard drive. Good for you. Yeah, my, my, my goal really is more like, on a technical side, say sort of threefold. Number one is, can our show survive with the two of us hosts being outside of Portland? So mm-hmm. my colleague Soleil runs a restaurant in Mexico. I'm moving to Columbus because my partner is starting a job there. So, you know, what would what it be like to live in the Midwest and talk to chefs of color or talk to folks in the industry about, how will they react to our show? I think I'm excited about that challenge. I'm excited to go to Detroit, see how these conversations happen, try to go to other places. Um, So that's one. The second is, can we sort of break our show out of the usual model of just Skyping and studio interviews, which is fine and it's wonderful, but I kind of want to do more like field recording. Yeah. So I, this morning I went and did some field recording. It's really challenging. I'm actually starting to work, pick up a few shifts at a pizza restaurant. So I'm going to record my experiences. Oh, wow. So I've never worked in the food industry, but I went to get my food license this morning. I failed the test at first. <laughs> is this investigative journalism or is this a, a side hustle? <laughs> it's just like it's a side hustle. I mean, it's just like I thought it'd be kind of make for because I want to challenge myself to do something different. So I thought, someone offered me to work at a pizza place. I'm 40 years old. I've never worked in the food industry. So so with the form of podcasting, I'm trying to challenge us to do something different. And the third, right. which is, um, this isn't a commercial, but I do want to see us grow to a place where we can attract the support of a network to adopt us. And the reason why I say that is that right now we are, I think, in order for us to really get to that next level, we need some high level slick professional production because we're getting high level guests we had a pulitzer prize winning author we have people in, in Europe that want to be on our show it's it's amazing like i never dreamed of that that said i think like we could really get big if we had like a weekly show where we could really push ourselves um, we have people wanting to submit content for us are you
2: so are you looking for the person to, to do the slick work, or do you need the money to pay that person Ooh, to do this That's slick a
0: good, work? Yeah, that's an excellent question. That's what I
2: feel like the I network guess, provides. I mean,
0: so, like, you know, I'm very transparent about her. We basically have about, you know, seven, $800 in like Patreon donations plus the, the, mm-hmm. the advertisements. We run two advertisements per show. That's enough to pay our producer. His name is Juan Ramirez. And then each of us co hosts gets a little bit. A lot of it we reinvest back in the show into yeah. equipment. I just bought a field recorder. So, you know, I'm not really sure. I mean, I think I, I jumped into, you know, before the microphone started, I, I told you both that, like, if I knew how hard it was to podcast, I would never have started this. Yeah. Uh, now I feel like really humbled by the medium. And I feel like That's so
2: funny, though, because you're a writer. But podcasting Some people, is- people make that mistake with writing all the time. They think that it's just. Uh, but
0: the thing with writing, and I, I teach a writing class here at a place called The Attic, like, if a student submits an essay that's not the best, I can polish it up and improve it. I just did this episode with the terrific guest, his name is John Birdsall. He's kind of an expert on with you know, so the queer aesthetics of food, the mic was too hot. Yeah. My mic yeah, was you, too
2: hot. You got to do it again.
0: Well, here's the thing. I ended up paying someone, uh, a professional um, music engineer to clean up the episode and he cleaned it up. So that's kind of like the dirty laundry, but like that's someone that. Did it, it sound
2: better though? It or did. A little
0: I bad. think so. I okay. think it sounded good. I okay. mean, maybe if people haven't, if they don't hear this, they may not well, notice it. That's
1: now we're it's inside funny, baseball. We're w- so inside baseball that I. I was just listening to a podcast yesterday. Yeah. I actually listened to Race a Sandwich, the yeah. newest episode. I really enjoyed it. I thought oh, it was thanks. very well done. But then there's this other podcast I like called You Are Not So Smart. Yeah. And it's an interview podcast. And it, it basically, the premise is it's, it's exploring all sorts of uh, psychological delusions, yeah. you know, but he prefaced this interview saying, well, this is an interview that I originally only released to my Patreon supporters because uh, the sound quality wasn't very interesting. good and I paid someone to clean it up and I wasn't happy with the results it was yeah. so funny to me and
2: it was sort of my my professional advice tends to be record it right
1: yeah well of course but anyway there's this no, was, this is
2: so was, little you can really do this it, is, it's
1: true but this was a situation clipping. in there, which there was, are
2: tools now to fix the clips yeah, yeah, there but are. there aren't very many other tools we, to fix and we've had bad to fix sound. a
1: lot of clips uh, on, on the radio <laughs> survivor podcast just to 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 have that but but what the interesting thing though was that he said you know but but and so I wasn't going to release it to the general public. Yeah. But my Patreon supporters said, no, 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 it's good enough. Yeah. You should release it. And I thought that was fascinating. And then so yeah. it was part of his regular feed because I'm not one of his supporters. Yeah. It's a commercial uh, podcast, otherwise. And it's it's interesting to me because I, I I know and, and you too, Eric. You know, you've t- I've talked to a lot of young people who want to do podcasting. Yeah. And people come into it from all these different angles. Totally. Some really come in inspired by This American Life, by sort of the more NPR style, high-budget podcasts. Highly
2: scripted. Highly
1: scripted, highly edited. But high budget's important because to script and do all that editing is, is, is a person hour. And then some people come in from another side, where they got inspired by comedians, yeah, where it's much there's very little editing to himself, tends, yeah, right, and it tends to be just a lot of riffing, and and, and mostly mm-hmm. is uh, unscripted, or they come in from the sort of the, the genre of two guys sitting around BSing podcast, yeah, and 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 they each have this sort of different aesthetic, and I think what happens sometimes I, I see is folks um, capture that one aesthetic, and that's what they think it needs to be. Hmm. Uh, and I wonder, and I do wonder, because I don't know if it's, it's a question whether whether sometimes it it it, it artificially limits some people, yeah. you know, in, in in different ways because in, in not allowing the show to be what it's it's going to be, absolutely, you know, and and because uh like like here uh I think what the show where you started we do Eric and I at least my conception early on was going to be. More slick.
2: I mm. promised all sorts of scripted pieces that I realized immediately I didn't have we the talked time about to it work for on a year, it's so
1: hard, six months, a year before yeah. we. Because I love making that stuff, yeah. but oof. I mean, the editing
0: thing is the really tough thing. I mean, we did an episode which is actually one of our most downloaded, called "The Pushback Against White Supremacy," and it's about the the TriMet stabbing. That happened in May, the tragic Patrimat stabbing. And then also this white supremacist rally that happened downtown, where I yeah. took my field recorder. So it's only marginally about food. It really. So I was worried about two things. But one, it's not really about kind of our focus area. And number two, the audio quality was all over the place. I'm talking about 28 clips plus me interjecting yeah. with. And the thing about it is that I was at home and I was editing it and I was playing some clips to my partner. And I was like, you know, I don't know if this is good. And she was like, You've got some really crazy interviews there of a wide range of people. Just put it out there and see what people, and just Mm -hmm. release that as a bonus episode. I did. We got a ton of feedback on it. So I'm actually really thankful that people stayed for that episode, even though kind of, so I guess the one thing that podcasting has taught me is to kind of relax a little bit and not to like, not to like sort of slack off, but to recognize that there are people who are more forgiving about the podcast medium.
1: They're far more interested in what you have to say than how it sounds. Totally. Yeah. Or, or what you're not selling. Burn corrective. <laughs> and I would say this to anybody. Go listen to AM radio for a week. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, and I'm really serious. Go listen to Rush Limbaugh. Go listen to Sean Hannity. Go listen <laughs> to some, that good at some local or regional yeah. AM talk host. And you'll understand how much how little technical quality goes into it. I mean, so yeah, they have a fundamental, they have a studio, they have a good microphone, they have a compressor. uh, The gift of gab. And the gift of gab. But those shows are generally live or nearly live.
0: Although although sometimes I'm nervous about like, I sometimes think podcasting is like driving down the hill without a steering wheel. And so to me, as as someone who primarily works in journalism, like print, online journalism, I, I still try to think about like, the best pieces are the ones that get edited. Mm-hmm. You know, when I have a really good editor and he and he or she pushes me back and says, "Maybe cut this last paragraph." Generally, they almost make my piece stronger. So with podcasting, as a writer, as a writer, yeah, yeah. I think with podcasting, you know, we it's always good when you have someone else cut out some parts because, like, to me, I listen to the audio and everything is interesting to me. Mm-hmm. But then to write it, I always tell my friends who we get a lot of emails saying, "Hey, I want to do a podcast." I always say, "Be compassionate about the listener." Who knows who this listener is? But think about it. I always think about a person, like sitting and cooking and multitasking and trying to like not bore that person.
1: You know. Well, and and I think I mean I think that's right. Although I think what we have to remember about podcasting is go back to the fact that it it is a completely opt-in process. Mm -hmm. If someone's going to abandon, they're going to they're going to completely abandon, right? So with radio, I do I think that that sort of sense of like. Uh, don't bore someone matters a little bit more mm-hmm. because and to some extent they opt in a little less. Yeah, the radio just is on, or they just yeah. happen to get to, or they can't hit, or frankly, they don't hit scan. You know, because they're driving in traffic yeah. and whatever True. else. Uh, you know, whereas the podcast is truly opt in. And you, and, you know, and going back to what you said, the advice you got, which I think is amazing advice, it's like lose to people who aren't going to like it. Well, because do- they're going to hang with you, yeah, if they like you. This is Radio Survivor, the sound of strong communities. I'm Paul Riesmundel, and we're talking with Zahir John Mohammed. He is from the podcast Racist Sandwich. You can find Radio Survivor online at radiosurvivor.com. You can find links and more information about anything we talk about on the program at radiosurvivor.com/podcast. And the show is heard on the radio on X-Ray FM, x-ray.fm in the Portland, Oregon area every Friday afternoon at noon Pacific time. And of course, we are heard online anytime you want to listen at radiosurvivor.com. You can also find us on iTunes, on Stitcher, or wherever you like to get podcasts. And, you know, we'd really appreciate it if. In your favorite podcast app, you would go ahead and rate us, drop some stars, or even leave a review. That helps other people find the program, people who might be looking for content like this. It really does us a lot of good. It's a big help, and it takes almost no effort from you. So if you go ahead and do that, and also subscribe to the show, again, in whatever uh, podcast app you use. So that way, uh, you'll always hear the program, whether you're near a radio or not. Uh, we really appreciate you spending some time with us, and we hope that you'll go ahead and make it a point to spend that time with us. If you have any comments, uh, please send them to us, podcast at radiosurvivor.com. Of course, you can also tweet us. We're on Twitter, at radiosurvivor. We're on Facebook. You can also leave a message there. We'd love to hear from you if there's anything on the program uh, that piques your interest or you want to tell us about a great podcast a great radio host, a great radio station, or anything you think we should know about and we should share with the greater Radio Survivor universe, we'd love to hear from you. Drop us a line or drop us an email, podcast at radiosurvivor.com. We'll now return to our interview with Zahir John Muhammad. Two
0: questions for you both. I know this like... One, do you think the podcast bubble is going to burst? I mean, there's podcasts so many – every day you hear about new podcasts created. And a lot of the big players are getting involved. NPR has a ton. Mm -hmm. New York Times has a ton. BuzzFeed has a bunch. So that's – and the second thing is that do you think at some point people will gravitate towards the more slicker produced podcast?
1: Well, you know, I mean, look, I think what we have to do is to sort of reflect back on how other media developed, right? So – less than a quarter of the population of the United States listens to po- podcasts on any regular basis. And you know, you can look, you can be the, that's a, that's a cup quarter full or, or, or three quarters. Yeah, empty. Room for growth or, uh, right. And I think, I think <laughs> the trends point towards that's room for growth as, uh, people have smart speakers in their home as yeah. dashboards become better integrated to the internet, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I think we're just seeing the tip of the iceberg and, and it is an historical anomaly that, I think the slick NPR style podcast happens to be dominant. And it's informed by the fact that podcasting is not broadcasting. You don't just turn it on, hmm. it isn't as accessible as YouTube. Um, that it requires multiple steps for people to listen to podcasts, especially on the go. So you had to be really into it. You had to already be kind of an audio fan, not just become an audio fan. Yeah. Um. So it, it so so it also means if you look at the demographics, uh, pretty white, pretty upper middle class. Yeah. Closer to thirty five than eighteen. Uh, Interesting. Yeah, right. So yeah. you have so what you have is is you is that I think you, you have a segment of the population that glommed on podcasting and mm-hmm. it reflects their tastes. But I think what we need to see and we are seeing is a whole lot of other people coming in to listen to podcasting whose tastes hmm. are not the same. And there are podcasts out there that may reflect their tastes, but they, they need to be found they need to be discovered.
2: So I'm, um- it just takes me right back to answer your question to how you started the interview. Yeah. With y- when you have a specific vision for who your audience is, uh, NPR is not doing that. Yeah. And if they do do that, they're going to need you to do it. That's true. And so your audience is coming to you at Race a Sandwich because of the conversation that you initiated and a great show like on the media. By because it has the giant audience yeah. can 't do the same conversation if they did a conversation about uh, race, class and gender in the food industry uh, an hour a week yeah. they wouldn 't be on the media anymore well,
0: you know the curious thing I met someone last night at dinner and she said she 's a big fan of the podcast, and my response is always, "Thank you, which episode do you like?" And she says oh i haven 't heard your podcast before hmm. so i was like what are you talking about she 's like, "Oh, your Facebook page is great, and all those articles you <laughs> post are really <laughs> That's interesting." Funny. And I, I mean, I was, I was, I was, I said, thank you. But like, that's kind of weird. And that's an interesting, that's a question that I want to podcast at some point as they grow, they become identities. It's right? a they brand. Be, they become as a brand. It becomes a logo, it becomes a t-shirt, It becomes all these things. Mm. And it's like, it's interesting because like, you know, we, um, that's a funny thing where we, people know about us who may not really listen to us that often. And so that's another thing that kind of humbled me about podcasting is there are people who say they like us, but they don't. And that has made me think not only do I need to focus on producing the podcast, but really being regular with Facebook. Hmm. At, least, yeah. at least one or two a day, at least five tweets a day. You know, I'm on, we're on Instagram now trying to post at least once or twice. So that's been kind of interesting that, again, I didn't think about when we started a long time ago, I thought, let's just focus on this thing, the podcast, but you can't really, at least I don't think you can do that. You got to be constantly in people's Well, but,
2: but then it goes back to, to who do you want listening? I mean, because I, I tend to think of a Facebook audience as uh, shallower. And so mm. you might end up with thousands of people that know your name who never take any time who never yeah. read past the headline or listen to the show, and having brand awareness with them might uh, might help you in yeah. some venues. It might be nice to brag about, but also if your if your goal at the beginning of the project is to have an engaged community, true. If that's three hundred people, but those three hundred people write you a letter every yeah, month yeah, yeah. about what it meant to them, true. And so, yes, you might not have the same opportunities to uh, to pay people yeah, for yeah. your podcast with only three hundred listeners, but you might have such a strong community that it changes your lives totally. That's so, true, and it's good to it's good to check in. You get to change your mind too. Yeah, it's your podcast,
1: true. and every episode's a new episode. Yeah, you know. So, so I'd ask you a question. About you know what you hoping to accomplish, and I think you know you answered uh, very well in thinking about what what you're looking to do next and then I want to ask it differently in in what are you what are you hoping happens like what effect do you want? The show to have on listeners. The show racist sandwich. Yeah, yeah, the show racist sandwich. What effect do you want to have on listeners? Is there? Do you have other goals for it? You know, it's. I mean, similar. Yeah. I think to being a journalist, often when you write a, about something, especially something you may be more passionate about, rather than just a beat story. Yeah, no, that's totally. you know, why. Why do you cover it? What, what, what do you want to do? Yeah,
0: I mean, I think for us, we really want to, you know, try to expand the conversation around food and the food industry, um, because you do, I mean, we're seeing a little bit of change in food media, but for the most part, it is still very white. And so, you know, you still have stories about, you know, oh, Filipino food is the hot new thing. It's like, well, hot new to to who? I mean, it's like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Or like, yeah. you know, like, I mean, I, mean, I don't want to call anyone out, but like I just was at a, a restaurant where they had like a, a dish or like a, a tasting menu called the Magic Carpet Ride. And it's like, mm. I mean, like, I, I, I'm Muslim. I, I grew up being teased a lot for like, oh, do you have a Magic Carpet? Like you know, that was a big thing in the 90s. And so like, it's just one of those things where it's like, you know, partly the show is a way to give space to conversations that aren't really happening. So I feel like we've done that a a little bit. And there's a lot of other people out there who, you know, um, are rooting for us to succeed, who are doing that similarly, like those writers like Mayuk Sen, who writes for Food 52, or there's like Dakota Kim, um, who's written some great pieces. So we're hoping to sort of add to that conversation. But we're also hoping this podcast leads to some side projects that hopefully will get more central. So my colleague Soleil, who's a, a chef, she just sent out her book proposal mm-hmm. to write about sort of what's like improvisational food. So when immigrants can't find the recipes they're looking for, what do they use in its place? Um, I hope at some point to do some sort of longer writing project where I can go out like, I want to know what it's, like, what it's like to be like an Indian chef in Anchorage. I don't know. I've never been to Alaska that would be kind of cool to me. Like, what's it like to be a black chef in, you know, I don't know, Boise, Idaho. I've never been to Boise. That'd be kind of fun. That requires some money. You know, we've been approached by some literary agents. I don't think we're there yet, but that would also mean that Selena would have to step back a little. Yeah. Bit from who's going to podcast when exactly. you're writing your books. Totally. And so that's, those are all those questions that were like, so I, I think like for us, like we've had a lot of the desired outcome that we want. We just want to see more of it, which is a lot of people, feel like the show is helping them navigate some of these questions, mm. both people of color and white listeners. Mm. It's also helped me navigate a lot of questions that I look at the food industry very differently. I never worked in the food industry. And I think one thing I also realized about podcasting is at some point the inside baseball language is important, but to, to sometimes like to try to like, I didn't know you had to get a food handler's license. Maybe that's my own naivety, but like I went there and I like failed the test today cause I didn't study. And that's kind of a fun thing. So like, you know, it's also for our listeners to take them to places they may not have been before. Mm-hmm. So um, so that's, you know, I think this next year, in a year from now, I really have no idea where we're going to be. You know, there is a possibility that, you know, it will get too overwhelming and um, we won't be able to continue it. I hope that's not the case. And that really depends on sort of our financial
1: situation. Mm-hmm. But for
0: now, we're having fun and we just want to continue having fun.
1: And we're talking to Zahir Mohammed, He is the creator of the podcast racist sandwich. And you know, I think an interesting thing about podcasting is the opportunity it gives because it really is an opportunity that has barely existed before. That if you'd wanted to make a radio show like this, you basically would have had to either pitch it to a public radio station mm-hmm. or or really go outside the United States. Yeah, <laughs> you'd totally. have to go get like a, a CBC Canada grant or a BBC grant yeah. because there would be very little space to do this. Um, and because of sort of the the lower cost, I hate to say the democratization because I don't think it really is democratizing in the way in which we really want to think about. But you know, just the lowering cost of equipment and it gets easier to do all these things you could distribution. Make it. But then, but then it also, I mean. The double whammy though Or should I say The cash 22 Is that Then it is really on you mm-hmm. Right Then you don't have Someone there Helping to, to get it out Into the world or, or ready to write Another check Or tell you They're not going to Write another check I, I talk with Um somebody with a public radio background uh, a number of months ago, who's asking me about podcasting and he was a little flabbergasted at the budgets that he was, that were suggested <laughs> to him because he was pitching a project and there are a few people who are willing to go for it as a podcast, but it was a fraction yeah. of what he was, had become accustomed to in terms of win, winning grants about a decade, 15 years ago to do yeah. public radio. Um, and, and, but yet I think with podcasting, Another liberatory point, because it started back and forth on the cash twenty-two. I think is that is that if you haven't, if if you don't have somebody who's writing you the check, uh, wholesale, yeah. right? Who's not who, who you're not beholden to, then the show can adapt to what you're able to do. Yeah. And, you know, and I think if you, if you go and listen to, to podcasts and in, popular podcasts that, that have, especially outside, I think of the public radio sphere that have hundreds of episodes, you will hear that evolution. Yeah. You will hear the, you will hear sometimes that the, the more ambitious attempts often early on that flatten out into the things. <laughs> totally, I mean, you see this in a WTF with Mark Marin, yeah. you see this with, with lots of shows, including radio survivor. I
2: remember the first radio survivor was like, we don't have a
1: guest or a. <laughs> and Paul and I are just going to see what comes good. up. How
0: many episodes have you done now?
1: This will be 101. Wow. Is, we wow. just celebrated number 100, and, you know... Congratulations. We weren't, we weren't sure. We, <laughs> we weren't entirely but you know sure what, we'd be able to make it. But
0: what you said is both a blessing and a curse about podcasting. It's a blessing, like, we would not have this podcast if it weren't for the wonderful do-it-yourself culture of Portland, where you could get people to like give a space like Kebu. Shout out to Kebu, X Ray. All these community wonder- radio stations. Yeah, these are wonderful community radio stations where people would just like they're rooting for us early on to succeed, and that was great. So that de- I don't think we could have done this in like I don't know a lot of places where it's expensive to reserve time or it's just sure. not accessible. The line is too long. So, but then the reason why it's a curse now is that people think. Hey, oh, you've got an iPhone. That's all you need to do a podcast. You've got to record button on your iPhone. And I'm just like, no. Like, I, I met someone this morning, and I, I want him to do an episode. He's like, yeah, I'll just use my iPhone. I'm like, yeah, I know, but, like, can you – Maybe let's work a little bit harder. Do you know what I mean? And he's like, but I heard this episode was done on an iPhone or that movie. Um, I forget what it's called. Yeah, It was shot on an iPhone 5. Mm. And you're like, yeah, but do you realize like how much editing they did? And that cost money. And
1: that the, the tripod cost four times
0: what the phone did. Exactly. <laughs> and so like everyone knows these stories about these great. Yeah. But it's like, there's a lot that's involved. It's it takes o- skill
1: and talent. I mean, yeah, that it's okay, come it's out okay
0: of to
2: use an iPhone as long as the uh, as you're not on the street or in a noisy place, totally because the the iPhone microphone is designed to pick everything up.
0: Yeah, I and mean
2: there are better microphones for noisy places where you'll just get the person's voice. Totally, but
0: you can do it. It's so done. I think that's a process of us educating our listeners and our supporters about this is costly and it's continuous continuously cost the time
2: is always you
0: know but people don't see the time but like you know editing like audition and all those things that cost money so um you know we'll get there but that's been a challenge but i think for it's also been we as hosts had to educate ourselves i had no idea how much work and how much money this would be um and it's a lot of work. It's fun, but it's a lot of work. And now I'm really like f- spending a lot more time than I expected to.
1: And you have a couple sponsors, right? That's what you yeah, mentioned before. Yeah, we have a few sponsors. Yeah how did you How did you get them? I, I think there are people who who, yeah. are, who are sitting here listening, other podcasters going, man. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so our first sponsor, uh, shout out to Bertoni Foston, uh, black first black winemaker. He sponsored us with Abbey Creek, which was very generous. We actually had a Patreon campaign, and he gave us a really large donation five hundred dollars which we we're like whoa what do we do with that money and we're like okay in exchange we'll just run an mm-hmm. ad as a thank you and then we thought hey this is actually not so bad with an ad and our listeners weren't annoyed they understood that Yeah, it's on brand and then um we then approached i think one or two other places and then people started approaching us hmm. so that's been wonderful like i think uh, we got approached by i think Maryholst university um a people's food co-op and you know i always tell people when they they write in i say can you please write to our supporters i mean especially after our episode on white supremacy we got a lot of supportive emails and i said okay that was a really tricky episode i understand the content is sensitive please write our sponsors and say thank mm-hmm. you for sticking with us and they did and and i think that was wonderful that our sponsors know that you know they're they're still being appreciated so um we're super thankful i think we want to continue to grow our sponsors but um you know, hopefully we can get some ad person and he or she can help us. And
1: that's always the flip side is that things don't sell themselves. Now you hired
2: a person to help you make money.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and the thing is that like our listenership, like, you know, about 30, 40,000 a month, it's great. Like, but you know, really like I've got friends with podcasts that are a lot bigger and they're still struggling for getting advertisers. So it's a tough thing, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, I think for us, given that we are focused on race and given what's happening I think a lot of companies want to align with something like to like to reach out to communities of color. So I think that's a big advantage. So even though we don't have a big listenership, again, that's what I tell people who want to start a podcast, like don't afraid to be a niche podcast. Don't afraid if you want to do something about Chinese Americans who like to sew. Hey, guess yeah. what? There's probably an advertiser that wants to reach that and, demographic.
1: And, and, and thousands of people who who identify with that one way or another.
0: Exactly. So, uh, And that's the cool thing about podcasts. I mean, we all have a kind of niche podcast that we listen to, you know?
1: Oh, absolutely.
2: <laughs> Zahir, John, Mohammed, thanks for joining us here. You're the host and founder of Racist Sandwich, and we're talking about your podcast. Uh, one of my favorite questions to ask podcasters is um, – you went into it knowing one set of yeah. <laughs> things about your work. What, what did podcasting teach you?
0: Okay, podcasting taught me first and foremost that little article that I read in Wired Magazine about the four things you need to do a podcasting was wrong. <laughs> it was like four things that you need to start your own podcast. No disrespect to Wired Magazine. But like, I guess uh, I began to realize that, like you said earlier, I have to think as a radio person. And to me, that's my standard. I know we're not I'm not Terry Gross, but that'll always be my standard and I'll always aspire to that level. Mm-hmm. So I try to bring that work ethic to the podcast. So radio has existed for a long time for a reason. Mm-hmm. And it's endured for a reason. And that's still my standard. So that's one thing I've learned. The second thing I've learned is also to relax a little bit. I think as a writer, as a journalist, I'm the guy if my article is due at 5 p.m., I will send it at 458. And if the editor doesn't respond, I'll say, hey, actually, Steve, use this version. Yeah. And I keep changing. It. But podcasting has taught me to relax a little bit. That our listeners will know that Ira Glass has a terrific quote. It takes you sometimes decades to catch up with your own artistic sensibilities. I'm not Terry Gross. It might take me 100, 200, 300, 400 to where I even think that I'm like good. But it's okay. I'll she get there. has a
2: lot of people editing. Exactly. And her, she, her, her, her flawless and amazing and style. An and she's been yeah. at it, yeah. So, so, so the second and then the is. the people to, that write her the questions.
0: Yeah. The second is just to relax. And the third one is, I guess, like, you know, going back to what I said at the start of the show, like, let the listeners who don't like you go away. You know, our podcast isn't for everyone and that's okay. I mean, I meet people. I met someone this morning and she said, I don't like your podcast. She's a person of color. She says, I don't like it. And she told me why. And I said, okay, that's fine. I mean, I respect that. And I mean, it's okay. I mean, it's not for everyone. I mean, so that's okay. Can, and- you,
1: can you share why she didn't like
2: it? I think it's a privilege to have a person tell you they don't like their I podcast. Know. But they've listened to it. And tell you yeah. and, and, artic- <laughs> and and
1: then articulate yeah. it. I mean,
0: really. Uh, I, I mean I, I think I think for her I, I get it, right? Which is a larger conversation around race in Portland, which is that, mm. you know, I am someone who's been here for a few years and I'm having these conversations. My my co host was here for a short time and she's like, you know, a lot of us were born and raised here, a lot of us people of color, and we navigate the space very differently. Mm. And so it was a constructive conversation because I said okay well tell me how I can fix this maybe we need to start thinking about inviting people of color on the show who are born and raised here maybe their parents are born and raised here maybe they've been here for right and and maybe people for whom these questions they don't see Portland as a frustrating place to live as a person of color how do you give space to that so I think you know again like I want our show to get better I want it to be reflective of a wide variety of experiences but again I think in my thing about like not pleasing everyone, I thought. Well, hmm, that that wasn't really your focus. But you know, it's just it's a, it's an interesting critique, and uh, I'm I'm thankful that she listened. Like you said, Eric. Like I'm, you know, I'm, I'm glad she listened because we have people who write in and say, "Hey, we don't like your show. I don't like your show. Uh, I've never listened to, it, but I don't like it." I'm like, okay, <laughs> yeah. that, that's fine.
1: That's like saying I don't I like. Just tell I won't. Like-
2: it's got, exactly. I don't like sandwiches.
0: <laughs> totally. So it's all good. You know, it's a silly name. That's fine. And
1: my mom says it's a silly name, but that's okay. I like it. It stands out. So here. John Muhammad, thank you so much for joining us here on Radio Survivor. Uh, Your podcast is Racist Sandwich. I think it's just racistsandwich.com, right? Exactly, correct. Yeah, so very easy to find, but in the event that you have difficulty, you can go to our show notes, radiosurvivor.com slash podcast, which is harder to remember. Thanks again, Zahir. Great, thank you so much. In just a moment, I'll have an update about the July 12th day of action to save net neutrality. Radio Survivor was a participant in this day of action uh, to help preserve an open internet. But first, you know, I wanted to take up something which Zahir mentioned in this interview about his podcast, Racist Sandwich. And it was interesting how he spoke about that a podcast can focus on Inside baseball and, and, and even use sort of inside baseball language, and in a particular case, he was talking about it was sort of about chef jargon chef lingo, because uh, his co-host is in fact a chef, and she will talk to other chefs or other people in the restaurant and food business and use that language you know and that's something I wonder about here in Radio Survivor. You know, because we talk about radio, but sometimes we get deep in the weeds on some technical things, or we'll talk about elements of radio that may not be so accessible to people who are just uh, listeners. So people who just love radio or love podcasting aren't necessarily uh, themselves producers or or in in the everyday production of radio. In podcasting, but he noted, sort of by comparison, that if you watch watch a show like ER, if you remember, is a an hospital show or other medical shows, even right? Well, they'll throw around medical jargon often in in the throes of some event, and they don't explain it either, right? And to some extent, it doesn't matter, right? And and, and Zahir mentioned that he doesn't necessarily know all the chef jargon or all the all the uh, the food prep jargon, but he can, he's a part, he can be sort of an observer even, even as an editor as, as part of the program and kind of enjoy that aspect of it. And that really struck me, again, because I said I, I wonder about it here with our show. We, we, we do try to make the show as accessible to a as wide variety of folks who may be new to radio or new to radio production, new to podcasting production, new to community media. At the same time, right, that the inside baseball— the inside language, the language of an insider is appealing for those who are participants, for people who know something about it. And it's appealing for people who want to know something, right? To feel as though uh, you're part of the club, if you will. And and sometimes it's tough to know where, where to draw the line, how didactic to be. And I, I will admit that that's uh, – my tendency is to be didactic, <laughs> perhaps too much. Um, but also uh, – when uh, to to not over explain and let things go. And, and the great thing about a collaboration and working with Eric Klein, um, my co-host and co-producer on the show, is that he has a sensibility, too. And he often knows when to call things out or to give background or alert people to things we've talked to many times. And we try to make it accessible so you can go back to our show notes or go back to other shows or look at things on our website to dig in and and learn more if you want to because that's that's the wonderful thing right about the internet is if you want to go deep and learn a lot really fast boy can you <laughs> the, the joys of hyperlinking the joys of of all that accessibility where uh 20 years ago you might have had to go and do deep research at a library or archive or encyclopedia but but I thought that was great and I think it's something for anyone who wants to make a podcast about A niche subject that you love to think about. And and it doesn't mean you have to come down on one side or the other. It doesn't mean I think you have to make a decision necessarily. Sometimes it's good to throw uh, the new listener a life raft and sometimes it's okay to let them go into the deep end a little bit because it can be fun. And instead just to think about it because I think Having it on your mind means you are thinking about your listeners. It doesn't mean you have to kowtow. It doesn't mean we have to spoon feed. But it, and then if we're not doing this for listeners, it, it does beg the question what we're doing this for. What do you think? Let us know. Drop us an email, podcast at com. So I am Paul rees one of your hosts and producers. And real quickly, I wanted to update on that July 12th, Day of Action to Save Net Neutrality, where... Uh, over 125,000 websites on July 12th, along with internet users and different organizations, uh, spread the word about the FCC's plans to do away with the open internet order which is currently in effect and protects the internet protects our ability to freely get information unimpeded for there not to be throttling for a site like radio survivor or a community radio station or an independent podcast to be have some parity with something that comes from comcast with something that comes from a large broadcast outfit like iHeartRadio. and uh what this resulted in in july 12th with lots of folks uh Publicizing the need to preserve net neutrality was 2 million comments made to the FCC, which was triple the last sort of day of action that happened on September 10th, 2014, before these last rules went into effect. There were 124,000 phone calls to Congress on July 12th. So it brought a lot of awareness, but things aren't over. The comment period, initial comment period for for these new rules uh, is over. Uh, it ended on July 17th. Right now it's a reply comment period. So it means you can go through and read the comments from uh, Comcast, from iHeartMedia, and from, from other big companies and respond to them. And what's important is that you respond in fact. We, as, as our colleague Matthew Lassar, who's an historian of the FCC and radio, has pointed out, that what really moves things is is when you can speak to actual experience. And, and say what what is actually happening in your experience of the internet, um, because that goes into the record. And even if it doesn't move the current FCC, it might move a court, an appeals court, who might see your comments, might be used as evidence when. Uh, It goes to appeal when someone challenges the FCC repealing open internet rules. Uh, You can learn more uh, at our website, radiosurvivor.com slash podcast. Look for episode 101 uh, where you can also learn about uh, our own commentary about why Radio Survivor supported the day of action to support network neutrality. You can also make your comments and learn how to tell tell your uh, legislators what you think about network neutrality at battleforthenet.com. I'm Paul Reismanel. I really appreciate you spending another hour or so with us at Radio Survivor. Of course, we're at radiosurvivor.com. We really appreciate it. If you would subscribe to our podcast, which you can find iTunes, Stitcher, your favorite podcast app, and also if you would leave a review, we'd really appreciate it. It helps people find it. We are a listener and reader-supported enterprise, so you can learn more about how to support us by going to radiosurvivor.com. Slash support. Once again, thank you for listening.